Welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine. And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. Welcome back, everybody. Happy New Year. Yeah, this is going to be posted like a couple hours late. Hey, it's okay. It's not days or weeks late like last time. It's January, so we're going to talk a little bit about... Dry January. Dry January. This was totally not anything we have had prepped. I mean, Kurt has had prepped for weeks. I just decided at, you know, late last night we should do this because it's a thing. And we talked about this on the radio station in St. Cloud, Minnesota, right before the holidays about the risks of the holidays with patients and, you know, lapses and relapses. And this did get mentioned, this concept of dry January. And so here we are into January. It's funny because I must be living under a rock because... I had never heard of this. Just so bizarre because, and I think I probably have because, I mean, no, we always talked about this in college even. Like, oh, we should see if we can not drink January. It wasn't officially a thing yet, but Mm. yeah. Anyway, so the first time this got even mentioned was a campaign called Sober January, even predating you in 1942. (laughs) As part of, you know, the war effort, for some reason, the Finnish government. So let me just go back and say I am a quarter Finnish. So clearly my genetics are smarter than everybody else's. Yeah, that's exactly (laughs) what I was thinking. And it's funny because it wasn't for quite some time that then the UK came out with this whole dry January. January. And they actually trademarked it, apparently. Which is super cool. And it happens to be the 10-year anniversary of dry January this year. Yeah. So it started in 2013. Could you? You can do math. Yes, I can. can do math. Kurt can math. So interestingly, the objective of dry January isn't like long-term sobriety. It's it's actually more about long-term control, giving people kind of a chance to look at what's your relationship with alcohol. So when this all came out you know the ceo i mean they actually have a ceo of alcohol change uk which is kind of a neat concept so this richard piper who was the ceo i mean his whole quote was it's about understanding your subconscious triggers overcoming those and learning how good it is not to drink or it is to not drink gives you the power of choice for the rest of the year i think just that self-awareness yeah and i think so much of it and with patients we see one of the issues always with alcohol is Everything is associated with alcohol. I had a patient say to me the other day, I went to a, you know, one of my nieces or nephews got baptized. And of course they had to get together afterwards. There was alcohol there. And it was like, you know, it's like, (laughs) we did. it's like, but it's like everything is associated with alcohol. And so it's looking at that relationship and how can you go to these things and not feel obligated to drink every time. Right. And this is a question I ask patients not even alcohol related in in general, but like patients who are in recovery and then maybe they had a lapse or maybe they had a relapse. That's always my first question is what happened in that moment? And and then we kind of navigate through, okay, if you're faced with the situation again, and that's almost exactly what this is, but of course it's a legal substance. And so I think it's just such a great concept. Um, I actually had a patient who is new to recovery from from alcohol, and I asked her about, like, what about the holidays and all of that thing? And she said her grandma, man, called every family member and was like, there will be none here. Like, 
granny got on the phone and it was just her way of telling me that was just super cute but well and i think we're following you know the pandemic and i think everybody's pretty aware of what happened during the pandemic there was about a it was a 26 percent increase in alcohol related deaths during the first year of the pandemic right and i think that everybody just felt like there was a lot more alcohol being used people were sitting at home and and i think probably more was being obviously drank at home and sometimes alone I do want to, this, this, this data fact here, I want to kind of point out, it took me a minute to really grasp it because this even was pre-pandemic, and this is the Euro, U.S. Bureau of Economic Analysis. So in the previous year, so this is like pre-pandemic, alcohol goes up about 3% is kind of the, the average thing. But alcohol, actually, the year before the pandemic, the spending had been 15% higher than the period. Why? I don't know. It's just, I mean, that just shows that there's just so much alcohol just increasing regardless. But then the pandemic, of course, just made it that much worse. So, of course, what happens when people have a dry January? So the University of Sussex, so we're going back to the UK, um, did a big study on this in 2019. And so are you okay over there? I am. I'm just adjusting. So what they found, and this is actually quoted in several different um, sources we found, but what we found is 71% of people who participated in the challenge said they slept better. Yeah. We just talk about the sleep thing rather than later. And, you know, I mentioned this to patients all the time. All the time. And I actually had a friend say, gosh, if I drink something in the evening, I sleep terribly. And I said, yeah. It's that whole REM sleep problem. Right. And everyone thinks, well, I need a glass of alcohol or whatever to go to sleep at night. But there is a metabolic increase and almost stimulant effect to the alcohol several hours after you consume the alcohol, which causes that waking. You know, I think it's funny because I, I drink a fair amount of fake beer, the near beer, and there's actually an IPA out now that's a fake beer. And I like hmm. the taste of it. And frankly, I, I'm just as happy drinking one of those. And I think then you don't get the sleep issues. Right, right. And then with along with the sleep is that 67% of these people during the study felt that they had more energy, which also makes sense. If you're sleeping better, you should have more energy. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I, I, we see this when patients who go through treatment as well. They lose weight. 58% lost mm-hmm. weight. Yeah. So I, I think that's a, that's a big thing. I mean, when we look at kind of the weight issues. And then they talk about reported better skin, 54%. And in a different article, it talked about that. And that's because alcohol can be... Yeah, alcohol can be dehydrating, which then, you know, impacts your skin. So, yeah, you know, fix the skin. They do talk about patients who also don't completely abstain for the whole month, but they do find that patients who don't, you know, completely abstain for the whole month still end up drinking less yeah. because of this awareness. I think, too, when you look at my, I often wonder, you know, how do people afford all these things? If you look at, Cigarette smoking and spending 10 bucks a day on cigarettes. And then if you also have something to drink at night, I mean, they talk about how a lot of people, 88% of the people that didn't dry January saved money. Well, yeah, if you say $10 a pack of cigarettes and just say $10 a bottle of wine, which is like a cheaper bottle, $20 a day. I mean. How about a box of wine? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Well, I mean, but if, if we're just kind of averaging that out, I mean, how much is a six pack or a case of well, beer even? But like. And a box, or excuse me, a, a bottle of wine is five drinks. Right. So, and how many patients drink a bottle of wine or something more? So, if you're doing $10 a day on each, we're at seven grand. 
yeah. In alcohol and cigarettes. Yeah, 300, yeah, 300 a, a month on alcohol, potentially. So, well, 10 times 365, Kurt, is not that hard to figure out. Yeah. I just heard a story. Of somebody over a three day weekend drank 100, 140 beers or something. Yeah. I mean, what's that cost? And then if you're going to the bar where it's way more expensive. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So it's financial too. What the warning though is, and I'm just going to throw it in here now because it's totally not an appropriate time to throw it in, but I'm going to anyway because it's in this article at this moment. If someone is drinking already more on the heavy end and wants to participate, being careful. If there's withdrawal things, especially seizures, um, anxiety, tremors, things more than just a short-lived hangover the next day, you really should seek medical care because it is not a benign, complete cold turkey abstinent thing in some patients. So being aware of that or if if, if your, your loved one, you maybe think drinks too much and you're going to do this challenge together – you know, just kind of being aware and, you know, to seek medical care if there is that concern. Well, and I think that, that often there's ways that you can increase your success. And I think probably the biggest way is doing it as a group. Can you I know? just make one more comment? Are we backing up? I'm backing up just a second. All right. Well, it kind of fits, I guess, with kind of preparing for this. And now we're here on what day is it? January 3rd. So we, you could start, Jan, you know, dry January and January 3rd. I think that's acceptable. Everybody start today. Everybody start today. The reason a lot of people say January 1st is kind of, you know, like New Year's resolutions and all of that. But we have patients who know their sober date from whatever substance. We have patients who don't want to even think about their sober date. January 1st is typically is like a symbolic sober date. And I loved this kind of quote from a person who is in recovery. You know, the, those of us who struggle to control our drinking, pick, pick a special date to, to quote dry out. This is a quote, and I'm not stating this. Not because we want to stop drinking, because we don't want to. So it's mm-hmm. almost like I'm going to start my diet on Monday. Like you have to give yourself a deadline, not because you really want to be on the diet, but because if you have a deadline or a date, you're just going to follow it. So kind of picking mm-hmm. January 1st is that kind of, external motivating factor thingy. Yeah. So in a way succeeding, you know, it's, it's planning. And I think it's, it's kind of like, yeah, there's an empty page. No, I was just seeing what page you were on. But it's, uh, it's interesting. Cause like, let's say you're going to run a 5k and you say, okay, I'm going to run a 5k on January 31st. I've got four weeks to get ready for it. And it's kind of the same way with this. You, you pick this challenge and you're going to, you're going to try and make it to that date. And I think making it something you do with a group is, is helpful. Right. You know? I, I do, I, and I haven't looked this up to see if it's still a thing. I'm guessing it is because this is a new article that, that Sussex, Sussex University, who did this study, actually found that there is an app, Alcohol Change UK, and we talked about the CEO of that. There's actually a try dry, try dry app to track this. And there's actually a community of participants on there. And so it is, it's that group thing. It's that support group. They off, also offer coaching emails. But it's it's kind of like going to an AA meeting. Like those coaching support. emails where you get something that says, you can do it. I remember running by people during marathon and it's like, you can do it. And I'd always think, how do you know? How do you know? <laughs> maybe I can't. But no, maybe they help. I don't know. But uh, finding a new drink. I think that's it. I mean, I'm a... You know, Your Diet I, Mountain Dew? Well, no, I'm giving that Well, up. the first time you quit Diet Mountain Dew... Yeah, I'm quitting again. You, you went to... 
Diet Dr. Pepper, which you don't like as much, but it still kind of had that same effect, and then you were able to get off of that easier. I don't know if you remember that. That was your first attempt, like it was like the Suboxone, the Suboxone. We called, of we called it the Suboxone of your diet Mountain Dew habit. So, yeah, and so, but it's like you know, I think some people, it's like again, if you're sitting around and a fake beer, a near beer, is just as tasty. You don't get the alcohol, and you save all that. Some people don't like to have things that are too similar, though. Right. Depending on how much you're drinking. To me, it's like, I really like them. So I like this quote by this social worker, um, this Amy Morin. It's in an article, so it's public. It, it's kind of that whole concept again, just to, to kind of, I guess you know, reiterate it again, but she says taking a month off from drinking could help you step back and examine your relationship with alcohol. You might learn you depend on it to manage stress or feel comfortable in social situations, or you might discover you feel better and think more clearly when not drinking. And I think that's the whole concept of a challenge. Like people may contemplate, I should cut back a lot, but it's like taking that initiative. And now that there's this challenge and it's actually a thing, it's kind of easier when you do have that fad. You know, I think it's pretty pretty similar. I mean, I, I've had many patients and I suspect you have two or their spouse comes with them and they're, the patient is explaining how much they drink and their spouse is like, no, you drink more than that. And, and it's like, well, I could stop anytime I want. And the spouse was like, yeah, okay, then, then let's stop. And my thing always is if, if you can't stop, if you can't taper down and quit for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, there's probably an issue. And then we need to re reevaluate and sit down and talk again. And so I, I think it's like this during dry January, if you really either get withdrawal symptoms or you had severe difficulty stopping uh, for that period of time, then you need to have a different conversation. What is your relationship and uh, how are you going to change it? I also find sometimes the spouse comes with and the patient, the spouse actually also has yeah, potentially an issue as well. And yeah, it can go the other way around. So Let's kind of back up a little bit again to the pandemic and some of the differences that have been noticed um, in women. And we talk about women. We talk about, I jumped way ahead. I took out all I the pages that. we don't need where you left them all in. So yeah, I do that. I'm on this page right here. Oh, that's okay. I'll wing it. Okay. So women, you know, we talk about women in telescoping versus, you know, men who kind of just gradually drink more and more and more over time. Women tend to start later, drink more. Um, and this was really, really kind of a thing in, in the pandemic. And like I said, we've talked about that before. And, and so something else to be aware of. And this is just another subset of patients who may consider this, you know, a really good trial or may consider it just another aspect or another group to, to really think about and look at and um, evaluate. I do like this data, though. If we're looking at 2022, a third of U.S. adults, roughly, different studies said about quarter, took part in dry January in 2022 which yeah. was a significant increase. In 2019, only, it was an increase of 21% from those who participated in 2019. Wow. So it's actually being a thing. And if you want to say, okay, if you start this dry January thing, what does it actually look like? What is 74% in this study actually finished the month still um, abstaining? Wow. So they made it through the whole month. That's a huge percentage, I think. That is. You know, and you know what they still say in, in different areas is that even those who had maybe resumed alcohol in that time did resume with less. Yeah. So. And let's say you are having trouble, you know, 
are there questions you ask yourself? The answer, yeah, there should be. Um, you know, one of those things is are you using alcohol to, to kind of cope with stressful situations? Are you finding yourself stressed out without it? You know, and then really looking truthfully is how much you're actually drinking. Right. I think people tend to, of course, we all know that people minimize. So, so I think that's something to also kind of yeah. Think what's about. what's motivating it? Yeah, and you know, has I think the biggest thing, which is of course part of the whole, yep, uh, which is part of the whole DSM five thing, is like, is it affecting your work life? Is it affecting your you know your personal life? Well, and you see that in patients. I think that's one of the most striking things I see in patients. And this was that same patient whose grandma kind of got on everybody's case. And I asked her that. I said, how is this impacting your marriage? How is this impacting your life? Because this lady just didn't seem like a person who would be irritable or angry. I'm on the last article. I know that. Um, and she said, no, I get mean and I get angry. It's like <laughs> how how you change when you are drinking. And and that's a huge thing. You are struggling over uh, there. So You know, it's funny it's where you say that. Where, oh, I'm mean when I'm drinking. I'm I had a lady who stopped opioids and her grandchild said, came over like in a teenager and said, Grandma, you're just so nice to me today. <laughs> it's like, like she goes, I thought, wow, that's kind of interesting because I think I was crabby when I was using. And clearly that happens I think with the a age lot group, of substances. A three to five year old, if you ask them, they're just so brutally honest, you know, like my nephew is in that stage and yeah, it's nice. But, you know, I'd be afraid to them, hear the things he's saying to you. Uh-huh. You know, having the parents say, what did you think about grandma this weekend when she hung out? You'd get a really good answer, I bet. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let's kind of talk about, we're going to go through some of these lists, which I like because we actually did this when we we talked to the the radio station. So this is actually like this complete guide to making it work um, from, yeah, what this is from like dry January, sobriety section in whatever article this was. Um from November of 2022. So this is like recently trying to encourage people to do this. Mm. But different benefits. Improved digestion. Man, I'm struggling today. It's my Monday, I think. Yeah. Better quality sleep, weight loss, saving money, improved focus and mental clarity, healthier glowing skin, and a stronger immune system. And let's be real, we have like this horrible viral mess going on right now. So, so be healthier. Be healthier. Okay. So... Other and, uh, benefits in detail. <laughs> well, and I think one of the big things to always remember is that alcohol is an inflammatory, you know, kind of deal, right? It's a highly inflammatory substance. And so, you know, we always look at what does it do to people's stomachs? And, it, of course, in this article it says, oh, you'll repair your leaky gut. Well, that's a little a little lame. It just causes a lot of inflammation. It's funny because I actually saw, I remember a study that I read once that was probably 20 years ago where they paid medical students to do upper endoscopies on them after they took different substances hmm. it's always medical students but one of them they they have that's because they're poor yeah they first ate like jalapenos and then they looked down there really nothing in the stomach then they did aspirin and they looked in the stomach like a few hours later and they had a lot, some erosion and then they did alcohol and it was alcohol was by far worse as far as an inflammatory uh, right. agent in the stomach so we see a ton of that i mean even reflux it's just Definitely does a lot of things, and, and for those who aren't as, you know, up on the gut in terms of immune system, so, you know, in general, like, the gut has this microbiome and does help with a lot of things in, in you know, immune system things, and so letting that get repaired will help in general. Yeah, and I think then people just feel better, you know, they don't mm-hmm. have that 
you know, heartburn in the morning, all those kinds of troubles. I think probably the biggest thing, and I don't even know if it's listed on here, is blood pressure. My gosh. Oh, my gosh. I see some amazing cases where people stop uh, drinking alcohol and their blood pressure will drop, you know, 40 points systolic and, and they get off meds. Oh, and that's... You know, nobody likes to be on a million meds and patients are like, I don't want to take one of your meds for alcohol or whatever. You know, we do have some meds that we do use for patients with alcohol use disorder. And I think we have a podcast coming up on that. Exactly. Kind of the off label things. I don't know. It was in your articles, but we've done several of these. So both the on label and off off label alcohol meds, not that long ago, but they don't want to go on a med because they're already on so many. But then when you get to start taking away blood pressure meds and then they can see their kidneys improve and that's huge. Yeah, I had a lady I stopped three meds after she stopped drinking. That's a I mean, lot of meds. Yeah, she had three blood pressure meds. And they're so, still not well controlled, so that's the best part. But All right, a big benefit, and this is kind of where I think a lot of women come in, is, you know, I can't lose weight, doc, I can't lose weight. And you, you try to, like, dive into their alcohol, and you're like, okay. And we have a, an article or a podcast and a presentation we do on this and how the malnourishment in patients who drink a lot of alcohol, despite looking, you know, whether it's a beer gut, if you want to go there, despite drinking a lot and maybe having extra weight on them, they're actually super malnourished. Um, but yet they're, you know, overweight. And it's just because of, I mean, alcohol is not healthy, empty calories and all of that. And then you tend to not eat healthier food. You tend to eat snackier thing like bar food. Let's be real. Well, everything in moderation. Mm-hmm. That's what they said at St. John's. That's oh, okay. Way back, way back. Crickets. So basically 58% or so patients, like we said, um, report losing weight during dry January. Yeah, and I think we talked about some of these earlier. The sleeping better. Sleeping better, which again, remember, it's about REM sleep. And any alcohol in the evening is probably going to disrupt your REM sleep. Okay, we talked about the money with this, which is the next thing. This says, you know, the 12 to $15 for one cocktail, that's kind of that bar thing. And they do state that there's there's a significant amount of patients who spend up, or people who spend 20% of their income just on drinks and cigarettes. Hmm. I mean, think about that. That's a bunch. That's a lot. Yeah, so, you know, and then, of course, the immune system, we also kind of touched on just a little bit, but, you know, it's... A lot of these different substances affect the immune system. Opioids certainly do, much more pneumonia in people on long-term opioids Mm -hmm. and other infections. And I think alcohol the same way. So um, again, and I think often when people end up in the hospital for infections, alcohol can really be a complication and withdrawal. So... Okay, can I just tag, uh, not, they're not in this article, and we, we really should get to the tips to, to do this, because um, it's getting along. A couple other benefits aren't listed. One, you're not going to get a DWI. You know, like, how many people actually drink with some type of alcohol on board? Probably way too many that we don't even know about. You don't run the risk of getting a DWI for drinking and driving. You also will not have that hangover in the morning. That's, is, a, that's an issue. It's an issue, and so... It's one of more of the, the kind of other side benefits, um, but it's also a huge thing. Mm. Okay, so tips. We've mentioned the, um, you know, having a group, a support group around them, around you um, that are all going to maybe do it with you or support you in it. Uh, go to dinner and no one orders a drink or they don't say, hey, why aren't you getting a drink? So it's kind of it's kind of that having that support group. Understanding why you're doing it. I think just knowing why you're doing it. Am I doing it just because it's a challenge? Am I doing it because my friend said, hey, let's do this? Um, 
Which is totally fine because if your thing of doing it is just because someone else is doing it, you still might learn more about yourself in this. Yeah, and even if you learn how to moderate. I mean, right. remember, there's, and I, I'm giving a talk with the medical students a little later on, on alcohol today, and really remember that a significant proportion of people who would qualify for an alcohol use disorder actually stop drinking on their own. Mm-hmm. Never do treatment, never do meds. And, and if you look at the people that qualify for lifetime diagnosis of alcohol use disorder, very a lot of these people have never gone to treatment or seen a doctor about this stop on their own. Right. Another thing in, in this month, identifying triggers. What And we kind of talked about this as well. Like what, what kind of things make you drink more? Is it, is it happy hour, which kind of seems like more of an obvious one? Is it, you know, other people drinking around you? Is it the stress from work? You know, and trying to think of what are other things you can do in that place? Like should you get home from work and rather than having that glass of wine, you go for a short walk? Can that have that same impact? Do you journal? Do you do something else? Understanding those triggers. Is it cigarettes? You know, a lot of people say they only smoke when they drink, but maybe there is some opposite of that too. Yeah. And I think the trigger of, uh, it's I, this one hit me because it's like uh, when you cook and I cooked the big meals for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And it's like, it is, it's often this habit. It's like when you're cooking, mm-hmm. you have a glass of wine or you do something. And so how do you break that? Right. So some other kind of like final things I jump way ahead. So changing the environment, you know, remove alcohol from the house, avoid going to bars at that time, you know, changing routine. So, you know, kind of like going for that walk instead of having that drink, knowing the cues, you know, is it Friday? This thing says Friday at 4.30 p.m. or or what is it? You know, I've had friends that only drink alcohol on the weekends. Like that's kind of been a thing they've done for years. So is that becoming more of a binge thing or is it just, is that already an okay habit? Um, And then keeping yourself busy, changing habits, all of these things. We talked about the support system. And then on bad days, remember why you started. Yeah, and I think, you know, truly the number one thing is if if you're concerned with your drinking in any way, shape, or form, you know, talk to somebody. Right. And, you know, not saying that everybody who does this challenge would even maybe meet the diagnosis, but going to an AA meeting might be very helpful. Yeah. Because you might hear what somebody else is saying, and you might be like, check, 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 check maybe help with some awareness in that. Yep. Okay, so as we end here, even though this has gotten long, total just an idea. If any of our listeners, like, and again, if you wanted to start January 3rd, because, you know, it's already January 3rd and not January 1st, if any of you all decide you want to do this, we would love to know. You know, we're not going to say your names. We're not going to go there. But just, if we can track just, and obviously we can't do percentages, this percentage of our listeners, but it would be really cool to just see how many of our listeners decide that they want to do this. So email us and just let us know. And then we get, you know, to the end of January or February 3rd, I don't care, we can do January 31st. Email us again and let us know what you have found in yourself or if you had triggers or what was hard or what was easy or what you've noticed in improvement. I would love to know that and just to kind of see what you all think and Maybe one of you would want to be interviewed on our podcast. No pressure, just an idea. So, Mm. and if it would be helpful, if one of you or somebody on here is listening and you want to take place in this or take part in this, but you are concerned that it might be challenging or you want some support, dude, we can email you supportive things and the emails that say you can do it, we can maybe offer some more advice too. But we would love to do that for you. So you just added like six minutes to the podcast. A minute and a half. So feel free to email us at um, the addiction connection podcast at gmail. Love to hear from you. Love getting those emails, and we would love to kind of see what happens during this month. 
All right. Well, everyone, thanks for listening. We will talk with you next week. This podcast is brought to you by Ars Longa Media. Produced by Dr. Patrick Beeman and music by Battle Eggs on Spotify. It was pleasant 
to join you this hour Though I likely won't meet you again I surely won't meet you 